Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents and to two, another two and another one to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And the one who had received the five talents went on at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent, he went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came back and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, and I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and I gather where I do not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But to those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave... Throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Strange story, right? Has an ending that probably made you feel mm, icky, right? We'll get around to that in a little bit. On the surface, this is a a parable. It's a story that Jesus told to his disciples as as they neared the end of Jesus' life. They They were heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus was facing down the cross. And so what I want you to know is that Jesus is not telling you this story in order to speak about your investment strategy. 
However, that doesn't mean that there aren't some overlaps, right? Like, invest early and often compounding interest is your friend. I wish I learned that like 20 years ago, okay? But even though Jesus is using money here in this illustration, he's not really talking about money. But money grabs your attention as a 21st century American, does it not? And it grabbed the attention of first century Jews as well. So here's the deal, all right? One talent is worth like 15 years of wages. That's the pull, right? Because Jesus starts this story by saying, this master gave his servants, his, his slaves, an extravagant gift beyond the, the scope of reality that anyone would ever actually give to someone who worked for them. And each of these people has now been put in a good position with just this gift that has been given to them by their boss. Their life has been fundamentally changed forever, especially the first two servants who received the five and the two talents because that's 75 and 30 years worth of wages, respectively. But even for the servant who receives the one talent, 15 years salary is a lot of money to hold in a lump sum. Think about what you would do if you had 15 years worth of wages in the bank. You'd probably invest it, right? <laughs> All of these people have been given an incredible opportunity. And the parable is set to tell us how God expects humans to use the gifts that have been given to us. So we're now on the third in a series of sermons called Good Grace, where we're looking at how the activity of God intersects with our human lives in order to enable us to live out and achieve God's plans for us. God desires for, for humans, each and every single one of us, to grow and to become people who live out the original righteousness and intention that God had created us for. And so we previously talked about how the grace of God is ever-present in the lives of humans, from, from all the way back at the very beginning of our journey here, when we were just in our mother's wombs. And this is what we call prevenient grace. It's grace that goes on before us. It's, it's how God acts in the lives of people and in our hearts long before we ever acknowledge God's presence at all. And through this grace, prevenient grace, we are drawn closer and closer to God. We are convinced of the fact that we are sinners and that we are in need of redemption. And when we give up the fight and turn to follow Jesus and repent of our sin, we are granted a new status. We're declared righteous before God and, and given this thing that we often call a new birth. And that's all done for us through God's justifying grace. This grace makes us new. This grace makes it just as if you and I had never sinned, just as if we'd never forgotten to love God with all of our hearts, just as if we'd never failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. It affords us a new opportunity in life, a gift that we could never have received or achieved 
on our own, no matter how hard we try. But the funny thing is, for a lot of folks, that's where the story ends for them. But our story doesn't end here. Unfortunately, the, the Western church, and particularly the American church, has been plagued by Christians who experience conversion, who, who experience new birth, but who never really ever do anything else to deepen their walk with God, who never really do anything else to live a life that lives up to the gift of righteousness that we've been given. For far too many people, Christian is a title that they use, a box that they check, rather than an identity that they live out. And let's face it, it's understandable. The world is hard. Being human is hard. Walking with Jesus is hard. And sin? Sin's easy. I mean, so easy, so much more comfortable in the short run. I mean, even look at what Jesus says about what it's like to follow him. This comes from just a, a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says this, it says, then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Like, it doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence, not only in my abilities, but also my willingness to follow Jesus. Like, he's not running an attractive business model here. Pick up a cross, they're heavy. Follow you, where? I know what happens when I get my cross to where I'm going. Lose your life? Any, any sensible person would pass on this opportunity. Like It's less appealing than any pyramid scheme that you've seen on Facebook this week, month, or year, right? But perhaps sensible people aren't who we're called to be in this aspect of our lives. And so how do we move from accepting the free gift of God's saving grace and move into a not-so-sensible life of actually following Jesus? Well, Jesus said these words. You might remember them from the past couple of weeks. How do we, how do, we do this? Well, for mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. And what this means is that although the heavy lifting of salvation has been done, although we've gone ahead and said yes to Jesus and moved from being a subject to the law of sin and death to this new life, this new birth, this new righteousness that has been given to us, even though all of that stuff has happened for us through the power of God, we are still deeply in need of God's grace in our lives. 
we still need God's grace to help us to keep moving forward in our journey of following Jesus. It means that we still need the grace of God, the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to live up to and into God's plan for us. And that grace that we rely on is what we call sanctifying grace. Now, sanctifying grace was our theological founding father, John Wesley's way of describing the activity of God with us. God with us as we move throughout the rest of our lives of following Christ. And that's really good news because it means that we're not saved and then abandoned to figure out this thing on on our own. We're not just saved and then said like, all right, figure out how to be righteous now. You got this, right? I've given you all you need. No, not yet. Every single step of the rest of our lives is empowered by the Spirit of God and the power that God has to sanctify us, which is a really big word for just making us saints. That's a heavy word, right? Saint. Think about anyone in your mind who you set apart as, as being a saint, right? Like Mother Teresa, like St. Francis of Assisi, if you've ever heard of him. Like your mother for putting up with you all the days of her life, right? All these people over here in this category called saint in our mind are are people who have gained a status of love and patience and humility that is beyond what we experience as normal human beings, right? Say, oh, well, that's for those people. They're saints. I'm not a saint, right? I can't be a saint. And you can't be a saint either if you're honest with yourself because why? Why? Because you know what you think, right? You know what you feel in your heart. And so you use that to separate yourself from from those people, the people that God has specially made in order to be patient and loving all the time. But what if I told you that's who you're called to be in your own way? You know that it's not natural because you know you better than anybody else knows you. Or at least you know what goes on up here. So you know that it's not natural for you to be perfectly loving, perfectly patient, perfectly caring all of the time. I bet you Mother Teresa felt that way too. It's not natural, but it is supernatural. It's the power of God working in the lives of human beings to refine us and to make us more like the perfect love of God that was lived out through Jesus. It's the power of God that makes it possible for someone who thinks like you to actually be a saint. The thing about sanctifying grace, though, that ain't cheap. 
It's not easy. It's free for us, but it requires us to cooperate. It requires you and me to do some work. See, in Jesus' story, the servants were given an extraordinary life-changing gift. That's the foundation of the story. That's the thing that, that draws people in. But the gift was only the beginning part of the story. The main thrust of the story relied not so much on the gift given, but what each person did with that gift. And the first two servants took their gift and they multiplied it through business transactions. They, they invested their gifts and what they received in return was a lot more than they had put out. The third servant, though, I don't know, perhaps out of a sense of scarcity because he had received so much less than the others, or maybe at least at most, obviously, because he said it, <laughs> out of a sense of fear of his master, he didn't take any risk at all. He buried the money, and he only returned what he had been given. And the response that he receives, well, it's not favorable. He blames his master for the reason that he acted the way that he did, for his failure to invest. One commentator says this, that one thing is evident from the dialogue here. He says, this servant has no love for his master. He is really interested only in himself, and consequently, security, not service, is his goal. There's not the slightest trace of gratitude that his master trusted him with so great a sum. Respect for his master is limited to grudging acknowledgement of power. The difference between these characters, those who invest their gift and the one who does not, is their motivation. Two are motivated by love and gratitude for what they have been entrusted with. And one is motivated by fear and obligation. And there's no fear in love, right? And perhaps this is the reason that Jesus has such a harsh ending to this character's story. So these are the two options that we face as people who make a decision to follow Jesus. We can choose to invest the gift that we have been given, or we can choose to just sit on it. We can choose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow the gift to take us on the journey of a lifetime, or we can go and bury it in a field and just visit it on Sunday sometimes. Maybe it's just like Christmas and Easter, right? The life that we are called to through the gift of God's grace is a life of investment. We are called to invest the gift that God has given to us through our own spiritual and communal growth so that we can invest in God's mission to the world. See, God created us to be people who care for and see to the well-being of the world that we inhabit. That means both the well-being of our own souls through personal spiritual disciplines and growth, as well as the well-being of our neighbors in this world. 
And these are not separate things. They are really concentric circles that don't operate apart from one another. And so sanctification, or just sanctification, is the journey and the destination that sanctifying grace takes us on. What it is, is it's the process of being perfected in love. Perfected in love for God and perfected in love for others. It's a state of having our hearts and our minds so filled with the Holy Spirit that we can fully live out the commands to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Y'all, sounds like a lot, right? This is a process that unfolds over a lifetime. Here's the thing about processes. They take time and they take effort. That's why I don't like them. But this is not something that just happens to you poof overnight and then you are instantly perfected in love and it sticks around forever. It's something that we work on and we fail at and we we do two steps forward and one step back, the, the hokey pokey, the electric slide and the macarena around as we fumble through life, right? But the end result is if we are persistent in our willingness to show up and invest what God has given to us, is that we grow in love for God and for our neighbors. We become sanctified or sanctified. Or as I simply like to think of it is, we just become the people that our dogs already believe that we are, right? (laughs) We become the people that God sees us as. We start to live up to the status that God has already granted to us through Christ. We look and we act and we speak as righteously as we have been made on the inside through Christ's gift. The important thing to remember is that the journey of a thousand steps starts with just the first one, right? So the question really is, what investment are you willing to take? Maybe it's just dipping your toe in a little bit. Maybe it's just actually really taking time to pray. Maybe it's picking up your Bible and reading it. Wednesday, Matthew 1, great place to start. Story of Jesus. Maybe it's coming to to Bible study or getting involved in some other group or, or service activity at the church. Perhaps it's a conversation with me about, you know, like where you are and where you think you're being called, what your next steps look like. Regardless of where you are and where you need to begin at this point in time in your life, you can rest assured in this fact. God has not brought you this far to let you just figure it out on your own. God has brought you to where you are today and will continue to bring you to where you are going 
because God has a plan for you. God is with you throughout all of the steps of getting you there. God has brought you to where you are today and will continue to be with you as you fumble through this thing called life. God is with you and will never forsake you. And that, that's something worth investing in, isn't it? Let's pray. God, we thank you that before we even knew who you are, that you invested in us. You invested the, the greatest gift in we, people, humans, prone to mistakes, prone to wandering, prone to thinking that we're doing the right thing when we're walking in the wrong direction. But God, we... We just thank you that, that you did so. And that through that gift, you have shown us your great love for us. You have shown us who you are, that you have shown us who we could be. If we'll just take you by the hand and follow you into the great destiny that you have for each and every one of us. So God, help us to not just use the word Christian as a title, but to fully live out our identity as your saints, as people who have been set apart, but not for the sake of looking down on the world, but for the sake of reaching out into the world to help others to become saints as well. Help us to truly live out that identity. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.